Welcome to An Amber A Day, the podcast all about functional nutrition for PCOS. I'm Amber Fisher, a certified nutrition specialist and licensed dietitian nutritionist, and I have training in functional medicine. I also have PCOS, and on this podcast, we discuss PCOS in depth, the nutrition strategies for it, as well as the realities of living with it and making this lifestyle work. For further guidance and meal plan support, you can check out the show notes for links to my PCOS courses and programs. And if this podcast helps you, please do me a favor and leave me a review. Thank you so much for being here. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to an Amber Day, the functional nutrition podcast. I'm your host, Amber Fisher, and thank you for being here today. I'm excited to talk to you. Today, we are going to get into the gallbladder PCOS connection. We're going to talk a lot about the gallbladder and how it functions and why it um, tends to have more issues in PCOS. If you don't have PCOS and you do have gallbladder issues and you clicked onto this podcast hoping for some help, I think you might still find value in it, especially if you are female, because we're going to talk about the hormone connection with the gallbladder. And um, a lot of us women struggle with gallbladder issues. So um, if you are ready to listen, let's go ahead and get into it. First things first, I get a ton of questions about the gallbladder. And I have done some videos um, on this and some content on this before, and I always get a really big response whenever I talk about the gallbladder because I think people are just so frustrated, um, especially if they've had their gallbladder removed. Like the frustration is wondering why does nothing work the way that it used to? Um, why am I having constant diarrhea or bloating or gas? Like why is why am I not healing the way that I was led to believe that I would heal? And the other frustration is like, why did this happen to me? I think like the conventional medical world kind of likes to talk about the gallbladder. Like it's not really that important. Um, and kind of likes to be like, Oh, well, you got to get it removed, you know, too bad, but you'll be fine. You know, and they they just sort of brush it off. Like it's not going to be that big of a deal. And to be fair, like for a lot of people, it's not a big deal. Um, you know, when you, when you remove the gallbladder, it's not that you don't make bile anymore. Um, it's just that it's like a constant drip into your, uh, small intestine instead of, you know, being pumped out or metered out a little bit better. So you're still getting the stuff that you need to break down fats, but, um, and so I think the assumption is, you know, that, that that's going to be fine, that it's going to be no big deal. But so many of the people that I work with have the opposite experience. We're going to talk a little bit first about what the gallbladder does and how it functions, because I think, you know, to me, the gallbladder is like a little bit like the thyroid. It's, it's a little bit of a mysterious organ. I think for a lot of people, um, it's even one of those things that I can get a little bit like flustered or confused about. And I kind of have to like go back, go back through my textbook and re-remind myself, okay, like this goes to this goes to this, and this is how it works. So we're going to do a basic overview of how the gallbladder functions and what its purpose is and what its role is. And then, um, and we'll talk a little bit about, you know, some connections to PCOS and why those with PCOS do tend to have more problems with the gallbladder or more likely to have problems with the gallbladder. And then we'll talk about some things that you can do, uh, to help or some solutions. And, you know, we'll talk everything from 
kind of basic overview of nutrition. We'll talk a little bit of supplementation and things like that. Before we get started on today's podcast, I want to remind you of two things. Number one, the podcast really needs some reviews. So if you're a regular listener of the podcast and you wouldn't mind leaving us a review on Apple podcasts, that would be so nice. I would be very, very grateful. Honestly. Um, it's yeah, I know it's, I know it's that extra couple of steps to like go on there. And, and if you have, if you don't have an, an, Apple product and then you have to go make an iTunes account and like for some reason iTunes does not work good on like Microsoft. I think it's on purpose, but anyway, if you wouldn't mind doing that, I would very very much appreciate you. Okay? And then the second thing is if you do have PCOS and you want a deeper perspective on it, you're needing help with it, like you really want to get to the bottom of your symptoms, you want to figure out what your type is, you want to do all that stuff. Um, I have a new course, it's called Functional PCOS, and um, it is a self-paced, very comprehensive program going into all the different root causes of PCOS, what I see in practice, how I work with people, like it's it's almost like working with me one-on-one, uh, except you don't have to pay the cost of working with me one-on-one. So I've really condensed as much knowledge as I could into there. Um, it's got great feedback. So I really think that if you are looking for a place to kind of start with your PCOS, it's a good place. So I highly recommend it. I will put a link to the information on it below in the description box. So, uh, I hope you will check it out. All right, let's get into the rest of the podcast. What does the gallbladder do? What the gallbladder, the gall, (laughs) the gallbladder's function is to help take bile, which is something that's created by the liver and get that bile into the, um, small intestine. It's kind of like a storage vessel for that bile so that when we eat a meal that requires a larger amount of bile, we can pump it out appropriately. Bile is something that's created by the liver. Is it kind of like a, a, it's like a waste product of the liver actually. Um, it's made up of like cholesterol and, you know, there's like old hormones and stuff in there. And, um, and it helps our body to break down fats, primarily fats. So it's a great emulsifier. And that just means that it takes fats, which are of course not water soluble because like, if you've ever seen, um, like if you've ever put mixed oil and water, you know how they separate that's because, um, oil or fat is not water soluble. And so what bile does is it breaks it down into smaller globules so that it can become water soluble. And it does that with the help of something called bile salts. Um, and without getting too deep into the little nitty gritty of it, basically what it does is it helps your body to break down fats and you need to be able to break down fats for a couple of reasons. Number one, if you can't break down your fats early on in the digestive process, like while it's in your small intestine, by the time it reaches your colon, um, and it's not supposed to be there as unbroken down as it might be, um, it's going to be very hard to continue digesting that food. And you're going to get a lot of bloating. You're going to get pain. You know, those of you who don't have a gallbladder anymore probably know this feeling of like almost like a fermentation type feeling where it's like body's kind of just gonna abort mission on your meal. 
because it, it can't fully break it down. And if you are, one interesting thing is if you do pay attention to your poops, you know, poops that kind of have, or like have yellow in them can be, um, associated with like undigested fats. And so, you know, you may not be totally breaking down things in the digestive tract. And especially if that's paired with a lot of diarrhea, you know, you might want to look at your gallbladder function. So you need the gallbladder to help you pump the bile into the small intestine so that you can break down your fats properly so that you don't get, you know, major digestive issues, but also, and probably more importantly, so that you can absorb fat soluble vitamins. And this, this is something that a lot of people don't understand because we, you know, I think culturally we tend to think that like raw foods are, are better, um, or they're more nutritious. Like if we just eat a raw salad with like no dressing on it, that that's somehow healthier than if we are cooking our kale in some olive oil or something. I think we get this message. It's just a holdover from like the low fat craze of the nineties, but Really, the way that nutrients work is that some nutrients are water soluble and some nutrients are fat soluble. And the water soluble nutrients, like the B vitamins and things like that, vitamin C, they kind of flush through your system regularly. So you have to have regular inputs of those vitamins. But the fat soluble vitamins can be stored and they're equally important to our health. So fat soluble vitamins would be vitamin E, which is an antioxidant. Uh, vitamin A, vitamin K, and vitamin D. And all of them play a unique role in the health of uh, an overall functioning of our body. And they're all very important. And we can't actually absorb these vitamins and nutrients from our food without being able to absorb fats. And that's where the gallbladder comes into play. So first we have to actually... <laughs> First, we actually have to eat those foods, but that's why it's so important um, to eat your vegetables with a fat source because you end up actually absorbing more from the food when you do add that fat source. So interestingly enough, if you didn't know that, now you know. Always eat your veggies with a fat, but that's what the gallbladder does and it's very important. It also sends signals that trigger the release of digestive enzymes from the pancreas. So your pancreas makes all these enzymes and enzymes are also part of the process of breaking down nutrients. So especially with fats, it's not just bile that breaks down fats. It's also something called lipase, which is a digestive enzyme that helps to continue to break down fats. We've got digestive enzymes that help us to break down protein, that help us to break down um, starches. One little side note that's interesting, produce the majority of the enzymes that break down starches in your saliva actually. And so that is why it's so important to take your time when you're eating and chewing because properly coating your food with saliva actually helps you to break down starches better. And that's also why it's important to like be calm before you eat so that you can prepare your mind for the fact that you're going to eat because your mind helps your mouth to make saliva. So it's just like the whole thing is such an interesting process, but the gallbladder sends signals to the pancreas to make enough of those digestive enzymes. And so without the gallbladder, you start running into problems there too. And so I see a lot of people client-wise who struggle not just with fat digestion, but also protein digestion when they've had their gallbladders removed or when their gallbladders are not functioning well. So um, 
when we don't have our gallbladder, when we, when we do have the gallbladder removed, like I said earlier, what happens is that instead of having that kind of pump situation, what we end up having is just a steady drip of bile into the small intestine. So that's fine. You know, if you're eating a lower fat meal, um, you're eating small meals, things like that. Usually people do okay with that kind of thing. Not always. I think some people are more sensitive than others, but most people do fine and they find that their digestion is okay um, with that. But what they do struggle with are larger meals and they struggle with uh, meals that have a lot of fat or a lot of protein in them. And that's really where, you know, having the gallbladder really comes in handy. And, uh, you know, this is your entire life. And if if you're listening to this without a gallbladder, you know what I'm talking about. But food is is your entire life. You have to eat multiple times a day, every day. And um, sometimes you want to eat a bigger meal. Or sometimes you want to practice, I don't know, intermittent fasting or different things like that that can all trigger gallbladder stuff. And so it's very inconvenient and very frustrating to have to, you know, think about the rest of your life never being able to eat a large meal meal without having digestive issues. And that's why I've said before that it's really not a fair situation, you know, and I've gotten some hate for saying that because people are like, you know, I don't know, acting like if you feel that way that you're being a baby about it or it's no big deal. But honestly, I mean, that is a big deal. And to me, that's a quality of life thing. And so I think it's very important for us to, if we still have our gallbladder to do our best to support it as best as we can, Um, while also understanding the risks and understanding the signs and knowing when to get help when we need it. And then if we don't have our gallbladder, I guess I just want to assure you that there are things you can do to help with your digestion of foods. Like it's not a, a forever sentence of like digestive problems. Okay. So we're going to talk about all that stuff as we go along today, but I think one thing that's really interesting is that having PCOS actually puts you at a three times increased rate um, or risk of gallbladder disease. So um, if you're wondering why it seems like a lot of people with PCOS either have gallbladder issues or have to have their gallbladders removed, um, you're not crazy. That's a real thing. There is a definite connection there. It increases the risk of you having... Um, of your gallbladder being sluggish. And when a gallbladder is sluggish, what often happens is that it starts to develop a sludge and then that sludge can turn into gallstones. And once you've got gallstones, then you start getting like pain and inflammation and pain and inflammation then lead to, you know, gallbladder attacks. And once you start having those, it's, it's kind of like, you know, then it's time to start thinking about getting it removed. And I do just want to say before I get into any more stuff that this podcast, you know, I know that my tag here is alternative health, but I'm not here to tell you to, you know, like do some crazy gallbladder flush and like naturally heal your gallbladder. If you're in the midst of having like gallbladder attacks and your medical team is recommending that you have it removed, like listen to your medical team. Um, 
But I do think that if you're early on in the process or you don't have gallbladder issues yet, but you do have PCOS, that it's wise to, um, to kind of pay attention and see if you can't help support your body to a better place so that hopefully you can maybe prevent some of these issues. So let's talk about why you are at increased risk of having gallbladder issues with PCOS. So the first thing is that there are some hormones that are important for the signaling of the gallbladder that are important for the functioning of the gallbladder. And some of those hormones we happen to have, um, you know, an increased risk of problems with in PCOS. So the first one I want to talk about, and this one's really interesting. This is melatonin. And if you've ever heard of melatonin, you've probably heard it, um, used as like a sleep aid. Um, what melatonin is, is it's a hormone that's produced by your brain in response to lack of daylight. So in the evening it gets dark. Um, and as long as you are not looking at a blue light screen on your phone or your computer or your TV, which most of us do, you should be producing melatonin throughout that time. And, you know, it builds up as the night goes on. It's one of the things that helps make you sleepy. It's not the only thing. And so if you've ever struggled with sleep issues and you tried melatonin and been like, this isn't helping me, well, you know, it's not the whole picture, but melatonin is a hormone. And in PCOS, we are actually commonly deficient in melatonin. We don't make enough melatonin. And what's interesting about melatonin is that we have enough. Um, it can help us to inhibit gallstone, gallstone formation. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. It can also help us to increase the conversion of cholesterol into bile salts, which helps to break down our fats better, and it can help the gallbladder contract more fully. So it helps with that kind of sluggishness that I talked about earlier. There was actually a study done um, with PCOS that found that five milligrams of melatonin taken twice a day for I think 12 weeks was the length of the study improved PCOS symptoms, hirsutism. It lowered CRP, which is a marker of um, chronic inflammation. It lowered testosterone. So there's definitely a connection between PCOS, low melatonin, and potential gallbladder issues. I actually think that a lot of the gallbladder issues in PCOS kind of stem from this. I, I really think that there's a stronger connection here. And I think that as research continues in the future, we'll continue to, to see that. And we know that melatonin is really important in like follicular fluid. It's really important in fertility. And so there's definitely a lot that we, we need to still learn, but it's hugely important for this issue in particular. So like as, as a nutritionist, of course I have a range of different supplements that I rely on or that I help clients with. I have never used melatonin therapeutically like that with a client. 
So I can't say for sure that this works or doesn't work. There are many, many different supplements for PCOS and um, many of them do very similar things. And so I have my, you know, list that I like. Of course, my favorite supplement for PCOS is N-acetylcysteine, which I've mentioned many times. And yes, I will put a link to that in the description box as well, because, you know, if you want to check it out, it's a great supplement. Um, I take it every day, but I have never used melatonin therapeutically like that, but I have been having thoughts lately of, of trying that out because I have been seeing more and more research on this. Um, and so I think it's important to remember that melatonin is not just, it doesn't just play a role in like how sleepy we feel, but it plays an overall role in the functioning of our body. I know it's hugely important in like circadian rhythm research and all this kind of stuff. So it can a deficiency in that can impact the gallbladder, having the gallbladder slow down, having the gallbladder, you know, not make as many bile salts as it needs, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are struggling with a sluggish gallbladder or you have PCOS and you have gallbladder issues, you might think about including some melatonin supplementation. I'll put a link to a good quality melatonin that has, you know, enough in there for you guys if you want to try that out. And if you do try it out, let me know. Let me know if, it's, if it helps your PCOS symptoms as well, because I do have like in functional PCOS, my course, I have a comprehensive list of all the supplements that I use regularly for PCOS, but melatonin is not on there. And if I get enough feedback from people saying that melatonin has helped them, then I might start, um, I might start adding that into my protocols and see if I can gather some more information on it. Speaking of that, if there's ever a comment or a question that you have for the podcast, there is a Google form that you can fill out. Um, and this podcast episode was actually inspired by several different reach outs that I got on the gallbladder and PCOS connection. So thank you to those of you who did that. But also you can always do that if you, if you ever would like to, and I love to hear from you guys. So another thing that connects PCOS and gallbladder issues is hypothyroidism. And so we know that when there are low levels of thyroxin, which is a thyroid hormone connected to hypothyroidism, we get a low functioning gallbladder or sluggish gallbladder, which is thought to contribute to the formation of bile duct stones. So there's not just gallstones. There's also stones that can get into the bile duct, which is the connection between the gallbladder. The reason I list this as a, as a PCOS risk is because when you have PCOS, you are also at higher risk of having thyroid issues, particularly hypothyroidism. So you see how there's like a lot of overlap between these issues. It's not, not like somebody's saying, oh, okay, you know, you have PCOS and so your thyroid is sluggish. And so that's why your gallbladder doesn't work. But what we are saying is, Hey, you have PCOS. You're at a higher risk of thyroid issues. Um, you're at a higher risk of gallbladder issues. I wonder if there's a connection there. There's so many different hormone signals in the body and all hormones really are, are signalers. Like they're messengers. They just send messages to different organs systems to tell them to do things. And in PCOS, we clearly have an issue with hormone signaling and messaging in our body. And so it makes sense that if we have issues, you know, as far down the line as ovarian function and ovulation and all that, that we would also have issues more upstream. And the gobbler would definitely say is more upstream. I connect it 
quite deeply to the numerous digestive issues that are very common in PCOS. So if you have hypothyroidism and you have gallbladder issues, you might be interested to know that there's, there's a connection there. But um, another thing to keep in mind with PCOS is that since you are at higher risk of, of thyroid issues, paying attention to your thyroid health is helpful here. And Thyroid health can be a topic all on its own. I believe I do have a podcast about thyroid issues actually, but what I really like to refer people to when it comes to the functioning of the thyroid is adrenal support. And I know that sounds a little bit like maybe not connected, but they are deeply connected. And so a lot of the strategies that help hypothyroidism are also strategies that are really effective for the adrenals, things like adaptogens. So like ashwagandha rhodiola, those kinds of things can play into improved thyroid functioning. So you might want to listen to some of my podcasts on adrenal health and things like that. I do think that there is a strong connection between stress and stress responses and the the gallbladder. We know that the gallbladder can be affected by like a disruption in the communication between um the, you know, in within the HPA axis that the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis. And so cortisol, which is made by your adrenals kind of helps to control some of that signaling. So there's a connection there as well. And in PCOS, if you didn't know already, there is an adrenal undercurrent for a lot of us. I would argue that most people with PCOS do have some adrenal issues, whether or not they have, you know, the classic adrenal type where there's high DHEAS. Even if that's not going on, I almost always see some sort of stress response problem in PCOS, some sort of cortisol issue. And so definitely something to pay attention to your, um, the amount of stress that you're under, the amount of stress that you're under when you eat, all of those things do play into the functioning of your organ system. So it's something to, to keep in mind. Another reason why we're at higher risk for gallbladder issues is because with PCOS, we tend to be put on contraceptive. So birth control, then a lot of us do end up having hysterectomies and we go on hormonal replacement therapy and long-term use of either of those is associated with the formation of gallstones. So we know that higher estrogen, it's a higher ratio of cholesterol to bile salts. It makes the bile more sticky and it slows the emptying of the gallbladder. And so that of course leads to the same, the same kind of issue here. A lot of it has to do with sluggishness and it just not, the bile just kind of not moving, just kind of sitting around in there too long. Um, and so being on birth control, you know, it does put you at more risk for those kinds of things. Now, birth control and PCOS, that's a, that's a tricky topic because as I've said before in other podcasts, you know, I have had endometrial cancer and I know that um, being on birth control for a time was the only thing that prevented that cancer from coming back. And so, um, with PCOS, you're also at a higher risk there. So it's kind of a catch 22 situation. You know, sometimes we do need birth control, especially if we're not ovulating regularly, if we're not having a period regularly, then having, um, having a regular period, even if it's induced by birth control is kind of the lesser of two evils you know, that excessive estrogen in the system can happen when you're not ovulating too. So whether you're on birth control or whether you are not ovulating regularly, estrogen dominance 
in PCOS because of that is very common. And that, you know, leads to similar issues with the gallbladder. So the real fundamental thing is, is not necessarily saying, okay, well, I am not going to be on birth control at all. Although if you can do that, if you do have a regular period, if you don't need the contraception, if you can do something like cyclical progesterone therapy or something else, which I did for years and I love, and I highly recommend, then, you know, by all means do that. But I know that birth control is sometimes the best option for people. And so no judgment if that's what you need to do for your health. Um, but you know, just another reason why with PCOS, we're at higher risk. The interesting thing about bile too, is that it helps us excrete old estrogens. So, um, when we don't have our gallbladder anymore, that also increases our risk of estrogen dominance because we start having issues with, you know, estrogen excretion. And, and this is so common in PCOS. I know I've done lots of content on this topic and I don't think it gets enough play because we always think about PCOS as being this high testosterone issue, but you make estrogen from testosterone. And so it's not that out of the realm of possibility to, to think that a large number of people with PCOS, if they're making extra testosterone, they might be making extra estrogen too. And then if they're not ovulating regularly, you know, they're not getting that input of progesterone to balance it out. It's definitely a thing that happens a lot. Like estrogen dominance in PCOS is a thing that happens a lot and doesn't always come out on blood work. Um, you know, your estradiol doesn't always look high and that doesn't mean that it's not happening all things to keep in mind. What's one interesting thing, um, is that there was a study done with people with PCOS and, you know, the study did find that PCOS was associated with slower gastric emptying. I'm not gastric emptying, sorry, (laughs) slower, um, gallbladder function, but they also did an experiment where they had PCOS patients on metformin to see if it helped. And it actually did help with the gallbladder motility. So that's very interesting. Um, you know, metformin does work within the liver. Um, but I do wonder and think that it's likely something to do with the decreases in insulin resistance that happen when we're on metformin. And so to me, it makes sense that if metformin could help, how much more could good quality nutrition focused on insulin sensitivity help? Um, because metformin, of course, and I don't, I really, honestly, I get this questions all the time. Like what, what are your thoughts on metformin? I'm not against metformin. I'm really not. Um, metformin has some risks you are at higher risk of vitamin B12 deficiency if you take it for a long time. And there's obviously the digestive issues that can happen with it, um, especially if you're not on the extended release kind. Um, but if you tolerate it well, then there's good research to support that it is helpful in PCOS. And so I definitely think you can still work on your diet. You can still work on your health and be on metformin. Like it doesn't have to be an all or nothing thing. Um, But that said, metformin is not this miracle drug that it's always made out to be for PCOS either. You know, like I remember early on in my journey that, um, I was just like hell bent on getting someone to prescribe me metformin. And because I wasn't, you know, the traditional 
traditional expression of what's considered to usually be PCOS, AKA I wasn't, um, I wasn't overweight. Nobody wanted to prescribe it to me. Um, but I had read all these studies about the benefits of metformin, benefits of metformin. Well, when I finally did get somebody to let me try metformin, you know, it really didn't do much for me (laughs) at all. And I know that that's the experience of a lot of people because it's not, it's not a miracle drug. Um, you know, actually the inositols, like a really well-formulated inositol supplement might actually be, um, better or they're great combined, but you, you want to think about strategies for reducing insulin resistance. If metformin helps, then that's a strong sign to me that reducing your insulin resistance will also help with your gallbladder function. And we know that reducing your insulin resistance reduces the hormone overload. So that would make sense. So it just, um, to me, that's where I would place a large focus. And that's not just going to help with your gallbladder functioning. That's going to help with everything to do with your health and your PCOS. It's going to set you up for success in so many different ways. I mentioned this before, but in my notes here, I have um, to look at adrenal support as well. So high levels of cortisol and adrenal issues might contribute to gallbladder issues, slowness with gallbladder functioning. We don't talk enough about the stress PCOS connection. I also don't think that, I think even if we talk about it, it's not implemented enough. So, so, so often my clients with PCOS are a lot like me. They're a little type A. They're kind of overachievers or if not, if not like that, then they are they do tend to struggle with anxiety and be overthinkers. There's a strong trauma connection for a lot of us. And there's just a lot of different ways that stress and trauma impact the body and its functioning. And that can contribute to PCOS symptoms. And so working on that while it will also help your PCOS might have a side benefit of improving your gallbladder function. There's so much that I could go into on that, and I don't want to like take up <laughs> take up the entire time of the podcast talking about meditation, but you know, meditate. Um, I do have like strategies for that because I know that, that that to me I think is one of the hardest things. It like I can change my diet all day long, but like get me to sit down and like actually meditate. It's that's a different animal. So I think a lot of people are like that. And I hear often from people about meditation that, you know, they, they can't sit still or they don't know how to do it, or like it's uncomfortable for them, or they don't like it. Um, they can't concentrate. They can't focus. If that's you, if that's your experience of meditation, that's a strong sign that, that you need to meditate because meditation is, is a practice. It's just like yoga is a practice. It's not so much about how well you do it, but about the fact that you show up to do it daily and you get better with it with time and it teaches you stillness. And that's kind of the whole point. It's not that you like have to be a person who already is good at being still. It's teaching you to be still. So anyway, I won't go into it anymore because you're like, I know, I know meditation, but seriously, working on our adrenals with PCOS is so important so important. And as much as I wish that just taking like a 
adaptogenic supplements would fix that. As somebody who is currently in like stage two or three adrenal dysfunction, me, um, I sure wish my ashwagandha and rhodiola regimen was like fixing this for me. But honestly, like what really, really helps me is boundaries, breaks, rest, patience with the process. And it's a lot of hard work, honestly. Um, so doing that work is important though. It, it's really important and it's really helpful. So take it from somebody who's in the middle of, of this myself and, you know, obviously is a health professional. So it can happen to any of us, um, working on your stress and your trauma. Very, very important for, for PCOS, very important for your gallbladder as well. Okay. So let's talk about a few things that can also contribute that are not like hormone related necessarily. And I think these are really interesting. So there's some thought that like fasting might contribute to this because when you fast, the bile just kind of like sits around in the gallbladder for a lot longer. So especially if you're one of these people who likes to eat one meal a day or, you know, you're doing like a lot of intermittent fasting, or you've been doing it for a long time. If your gallbladder is starting to like malfunction, that could be contributing to issues. So, um, fasting, I know is a controversial topic. Again, not something I'm going to go into super deeply in this podcast, but I do think that, um, most people with PCOS benefit from eating at least three meals a day. And I prefer a three meals, two snacks or three meals, one snack kind of, um, daily life. I think some well-timed intermittent fasting can be helpful too. There's a difference between intermittent fasting and time-restricted eating. So time-restricted eating is when you skip breakfast every day. Intermittent fasting is when you don't eat all day on, you know, Sundays, but every other day you eat normally. So they're different. And I think some intermittent fasting can be beneficial. There's a lot of good research to that effect. But if you're struggling with your gallbladder in particular, you probably want to avoid that. You want to try to focus on smaller meals um, more regularly. And this is possible with PCOS. Like you can still have balanced blood sugar and balanced insulin doing this. You just have to be careful about, you know, what you're eating. The content and composition of your meals matters a lot more um, than how frequently you're eating them. If you're grazing on like carby snacks all day long, that's not good for PCOS and it's not going to be good for your gallbladder. It might, it might prevent like more, um, direct like triggering, but long-term it's, it's not good for you. But if you're eating three meals a day that are well-balanced meals that have at least 20 grams of protein, um, you know, if you're doing your, your lower carb dinners, like I like to recommend then, and you're eating like a well-balanced snack. I mean, that's totally fine. You can still make so much progress with your insulin resistance doing that. And in fact, I think it's better to do that because that doesn't trigger those adrenal issues as much. So the other thing that can trigger gallbladder issues is rapid weight loss. Um, and that's part of the reason why if you're losing weight a little bit more slowly, you know, one to two pounds a week, um, or even less, like that can be a good thing. 
you know, so pat yourself on the back. Like you're being kinder to your gallbladder. It's harder on your gallbladder when you lose weight really fast. Um, and sometimes there's, you know, sometimes it's just a little unavoidable. I mean, when you're making a lot of changes, um, if your body has been holding on to a lot of fat because of, you know, inflammation or because of, um, you've just been, you know, eating, um, an insulin, not insulin friendly diet or whatever. Sometimes you drop weight kind of quickly as you change those things. And I think it's still worth doing, but it is, it is worth noting that it could, if you lose weight too quickly, it could impact your, your gallbladder. Solutions for what to do if you have had your gallbladder removed already. Um, my biggest recommendation is to take a digestive enzyme supplement that has bile in it. So one that's specifically designed for those who have lost their gallbladders. And there are a couple that I recommend regularly. Um, I would say in general, you know, with, when it comes to digestive enzyme support for gallbladder removal, you get what you pay for. So yes, you can go to the regular grocery store and buy just a regular digestive enzyme and it may help. And for some people, that's all they need. But if you're having more severe issues, I would recommend going with a therapeutic grade um, brand and those are going to be more expensive, but they're also more potent. And so you're going to see more of the benefits more quickly. And, um, you know, it is a bummer to have to take a pill with every meal. I usually have my clients kind of start that way and then start playing around with, Hey, if I don't take it at certain, at these certain meals that are maybe a little lower fat or that are smaller meals, you know, am I fine? Like, and you won't just have to keep working on the boundary there and figuring out when you need enzyme support and when your body's going to be able to do it enough on its own. You know, some of my clients, they, when they eat normally, you know, they're fine. And the only time that they take their gallbladder support supplements is when they go for a steak dinner or something like that. So it's all about you and your body and how it responds. But if you are struggling and having issues, that's my favorite product. And, um, it's the same one that I, I use with all my clients. Like it's, it's my favorite. It works really, really well. So, um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's going to be it for today. If you have further questions on this, I, I know there's stuff that I may not have covered. So definitely fill out the question form. Let me know. Don't forget to leave a review. If you like the podcast, if this helped you at all and um, stay tuned because we've got some great uh, episodes coming soon. I've got some great guests this season, so I'm very excited and um, I will talk to you guys later. Have a good one. something today or you enjoyed today's episode or both i'd love it if you would leave me an itunes review and share this with a friend if this brought up a question for you that you would like to hear me answer there is a google form that you can use to ask me any question you want and i might answer it here on the podcast i do it all the time and i would love to hear from you thanks so much for listening see you next time